Um, why don't you grab a Bible and we'll go to the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3. And uh, it's towards the end of your Bible, one of the last, I don't know, six or seven books. And uh, we're going to continue on in our series this morning that we're calling, As We Speak, A Theology of Words. A theology of Words. And uh, in this chunk, if you've, uh, if you've never read it before, um, James is uh, one of the early church leaders, and he's writing this letter um, to uh, some of the early Christ followers. And in chapter 3, he spends time talking about the power of the tongue, or in other words, the importance of how we speak as followers of Jesus, the weight of our words. And if we're honest and paying attention, I would say um, he, he gives words a surprising amount of power. He attributes our words um, like amazing amount of, of power over our lives and our relationships and even like the world that we inhabit. And so uh, this is a passage that I think we need to wrestle with and take seriously. Uh, we'll read the first 12 verses and I'll tell you this it, we're, it's going to raise a bunch of questions for you. There's something, um, th- there's just a lot in here that we won't get to all of it this morning. But uh, I want to read the whole chunk just so we kind of have the context of the stuff we're going to zero in on. So, James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. And anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil, among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with, we, with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, we'll stop there. James is pleading here with these early followers of Jesus to pay close attention to the words that come out of their mouths. Because though they may not seem like a big deal, our words have an incredible power and potential to shape reality. 
Okay? And he masterfully uses all these different metaphors or examples. I mean, Jim packs seven or eight of them into these 12 verses. He uses initially these three images to communicate the power of words. The first is a bit in a horse's mouth, this tiny little metal thing that doesn't seem like much, but when it's positioned correctly and used strategically, has the power to shape and maneuver this huge, powerful animal. And then he talks about words as a rudder on a ship, a giant ship that has this little tiny rudder that the pilot or captain can use to steer it. And then thirdly, words as a spark, a tiny little spark that can set an an enormous fire on forest. And all three pictures are about how something seemingly small, easy to ignore, can actually do really big things and can change your life and can even change reality, okay? So one of the phrases many of us learned as kids and maybe have even passed on to our kids goes, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It appears that James is saying the exact opposite. <laughs> that, yeah, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can actually unleash the power of hell on your soul. Right? It doesn't rhyme, um, so it's not as catchy. But apparently, he takes this really seriously. And we know this. We know this just from experience, from common sense. Uh, Many of us know the power of words, how they can affect our lives. And for some of you, you know this um, in a really, really deep and experiential way. Uh, Words have power to tear people down, don't they? I remember distinctly the moment as a third grader washing my hands in the boys' bathroom at Jefferson Elementary School in Corvallis, Oregon. And J.J. Beswick walks in behind me and goes, nice chicken legs, Peter. Now, it's hard enough being a nine-year-old named Peter, right? But from that moment on, I'm nine, I'd never thought about how my legs looked before. And from that moment on, I'm aware that legs are supposed to look a certain way, and mine apparently don't look that way. And for the rest of my childhood, I'm self-conscious about my chicken legs. Now, here's what's crazy. Look at me. I do not have chicken legs. (laughs) I wish I had chicken legs. (laughs) That would be amazing. But literally, throughout high school, I was self-conscious about my legs. Freaking J.J. Beswick, right? (laughs) How many of you remember something like that? Some other kid at school said something to you about your body or made some comment about where you were from or what you were, good, what you were, were not good at or something like that. Many of us can remember back to that, that remark that was made. Some of you, it's way worse than that. It's not chicken legs, but something core to your identity was called out, right? And maybe as painful it is from a peer, but maybe it was somebody in authority, somebody who was supposed to love and protect you, a parent or someone else, that spoke destructive words into your soul at an early age. And so you know it's way worse than sticks and stones, right? By the way, if you can't think of any hurtful words that other kids spoke to you as a kid, 
I'd like you to consider you were the mean kid. (laughs) And you were probably doing it to them. So words have this power, this supernatural power, to destroy, to tear down, to hurt. But if that's true, these metaphors could equally be applied to positive examples, right? The bit, the, the spark, the rudder. Words have also the power to give life, to heal, to encourage, to, to inspire, or to bless. I remember sitting in my office at Jefferson Baptist Church as a 24-year-old college pastor. And Jen and I were not married yet, maybe not even engaged, dating, uh, just about to get engaged. And Fiona Kiker walks into my office at the church. And she's a wonderful woman whose kids were part of the college ministry that I led. And as we were chatting, she said, Pete, I think you should start a new church. I would go to it. And it started this conversation where I thought, huh, that's interesting. I'm 24, uh, didn't go to Bible college, didn't go to seminary, not even married, don't really know what I'm doing. And this wise woman of the faith says, think about this. I started thinking about it, started praying about it. Jen and I started dreaming about the next season of life together. Went to my senior pastor a week later and said, I think I want to start a church. And um, he said, I think it's a great idea. It's probably easier than firing me in retrospect, but he's like, <laughs> let's, let's do that. And so we entered into a two-year process of him pouring into me and preparing me to go out and to be a church planter back in my hometown of Corvallis. And he blessed that work and inspired me to believe that uh, though unlikely, God could even use someone like me to do that. And we ended up planting this church, and it became a significant um, work in our lives and in many others. And it all started with Fiona Kiker going, I think you could do this, and I believe in you. And maybe you've had someone speak those kinds of words into you before. That I see something in you that you may not even see in yourself. Or keep going, I know you can do this. Or I, sh- I see these gifts, these talents, this raw material within you, and it's beautiful. Or maybe it's not even about what you could do or what you could be, but just simply who you are, that I love you. I'm with you. You are known. You are safe. And so words are incredibly powerful, right? These small, easy-to-ignore little things have the power to change reality. Now, why is that? James actually gives us a theological reason. And we have to do a little work to get there, but why do our words have so much power? And the reason is, in verse 8, Or verse 9, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now, he doesn't flesh out this this doctrine or this idea completely here, but he assumes it from a a Jesus worldview. And it's the doctrine or the idea of the image of God. That all people are made in God's image and likeness, and therefore... We have been entrusted 
with this awesome responsibility and this amazing uh, capacity to make visible the invisible attributes of God. As human beings, God marks us with his image and unleashes us into the world. This is obviously Genesis kind of language. Tells humans to go and to fill the earth and to reproduce his image so that the whole face of the earth would be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. So the Bible has an incredibly high view of humanity. The Bible has a rock-solid foundation for things like self-esteem, a high view of self, self-worth, self-image, that my life matters because I'm made in God's image and likeness. And the Bible also has this solid foundation for things like neighbor love, that I love my neighbors because every single one of them is made in the image and likeness of God. And so whether they look like I do or not, live like I do or not, whether they're from where I'm from or not, whether they believe what I believe or not, every single human being that I walk by is marked with God's image and therefore their life matters. They are worthy of love. They are given this incredible capacity to bear and represent God to the world. And man, it goes from neighbor love all the way on. We talked about this about a year ago, all the way on to the way we interact ethically in the world around us, right? And it speaks to all kinds of issues related to race and and even abortion, things like that, that all human life matters greatly to God. And so that's what James is working with here, the idea that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. And so why are our words so powerful? Well, how did God create? With words. God said, and there was. God said, and there was. He speaks, and reality from that point on is changed, determined by his words. And then God said, let there be humans, and there was. And he says, let those humans be made in our image and likeness. And so we are created by words and therefore need words. We need an identity to be given to us. We need the Father to name us as his beloved. But we're also entrusted with this incredible responsibility then as those who have been given the power of words. So um, when I, as a pastor, have a chance to perform a wedding... We go through the whole ceremony and there's an exchanging of vows and that sort of thing. And then towards the end, there's a point where I would say, by the power invested in in me as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What's happening in that moment? When I say I now pronounce you, it becomes true by the power invested in me. Something that wasn't true all of a sudden is true. I say, you're married, and now you're married. I always thought that'd be fun to do it to somebody that didn't want to get married to each other, but (laughs) you better watch out. (laughs) This could be really weird, actually. We shouldn't do that. 
Maybe you've heard the story about um, the old baseball umpire who's standing behind the plate, behind the catcher. The pitcher throws, throws the pitch, and the ump doesn't say anything. And the batter goes, was it a ball or was it a strike? And the ump goes, it's nothing until I call it, right? It's not a ball or a strike until I say what it is. The ump has the authority or the power to dictate reality with his words. Uh, when we were getting ready to become parents, nine and a half, ten years ago, Jen was uh, pregnant with Emma, she was, Jen was a little overwhelmed by the idea of having to name a person. Um, she was dealing with a lot of other aspects of, you know, having a person growing in her and whatnot that are harder than naming a thing. But for me, I'm like, hey, let me name it. I like naming stuff. Um, I name, like, all my cars and all my houses. Everything has a name. So, um, so Jen trusted me to name our kids. And so uh, that day, nine and a half years ago, when our first daughter was born, um, I picked up this little girl and there in the hospital room, told, announced to Jen and, and everyone else that was there, her name is Emma Grace. And from that point on, that was her name. At that point, by the authority or the power invested in me as a father, um, she had a name. Okay? And so in all three of those examples, right, performing a wedding, an umpire calling balls and strikes, a father or a parent naming their child, there's this sense of power or authority invested in that person that gives their name, that, that gives their words this incredible godlike power, supernatural even, that almost reminds us of Genesis 1, of God going, let there be, and there is. Now, there's examples of that in in everyday life, and maybe in your work or family or something. But what James is appealing to is that there's something even more universally true. That where do our words get power, or by what authority do our words have power? And he goes, you all have been made in the image and likeness of God, and therefore your words have power. Not just umps and pastors and fathers. Every single human being. Your voice matters. Your words matter. Even if you feel small and insignificant and easily ignored, you have the power to shape reality with your words. The words that you say to others and the words that you say to yourself. God has printed that on the soul of humanity. And so we know that words have the power to our words have the power to affect the lives of others. Um, but what James seems most concerned about in this passage is that we would pay attention to the effect our words, our words have on our own lives. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time saying, so here's a good use of words and a bad use of words, although the scripture's full of that. We know that things like gossip things like lying, things like boasting, the one thing that he does name, are destructive uh, uses of words. And then things like truth-telling and things like blessing and affirming and encouraging are good uses of words. But that's not the emphasis of this passage. It's on how our words actually affect our own lives. 
In verse 2, he goes, anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, and don't think morally perfect, but think complete or mature, and able to keep their whole body in check. He's going, if you are able to control the words that come out of your mouths, you're able to take control of your entire life. He's going, words are the basic foundation for a life of self-mastery or self-control. If you're going to be able to lead yourself, start with paying close attention to how you use words. And if you can control your words, you can control your life. If you can harness them and use them skillfully in a God-honoring, Christ-glorifying way, then your whole life is going to follow. So that's where it's like that bit in the horse's mouth, the rudder on the ship. Your words will lead the way. Okay? How do our words direct our lives? Two things really quickly. The first is that our words reveal who we really are. If you want to look at who you really are, then look at your words. If you want to know what you really believe, then listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Our words reveal or expose our truest values and beliefs about ourselves and others and God in reality, okay? And so if you don't pay close attention to your words, just know that everybody else is. And it's easy to watch the news these days and go, did he really just say that? Can you hear yourself? Did she really? Did those words really come out of her mouth? Is she not paying attention to what she's saying? So if you're not paying attention, know that others are. And your heart, your identity, your beliefs are being exposed. That's the first way they direct our lives, is by revealing who we are. And the second thing is that our words direct our hearts. And this goes back to the idea that our words shape reality. That there's certain things that until they are verbalized will not be true. We need conversation. We need relationship. We need community. We need people that we can process with and wrestle with and ask hard questions of or in front of. That there's this incredible danger of humanity trying to live out the image and likeness of God in isolation. We spend all of our time just thinking and thinking and thinking, wrestling and wrestling, and never actually voice some of our frustrations or problems or sins to one another, and therefore they gain mastery over us. And so some of you that have had the experience of confessing your sin to someone you trust, there's nothing more freeing in the world, is there? Nothing more liberating than speaking, here's what I've been struggling with. It's crazy. If you've had that experience, it's this thing that's been haunting you for like months and months or years and years, and then finally you say it, and it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Or maybe it is that big of a deal, but the weight has been lifted, right? Sometimes there's words that it, we need help getting to. We need people to process alongside of, and they're going to help us to voice 
the thing that we truly want, the thing that we're really afraid of, the thing that we're really struggling with or wrestling with. And so we need one another. We need safe spaces for community. So Antioch's really been committed to this historically, and I applaud this community for that. And even as Linda announced, we'll be rolling out a new version of Redux next week. Ken and I will be here, and we just want to go ask questions. Anything you're wondering about Antioch, about what we believe or why we do what we do or our leadership or anything you're struggling with, a question about life or God or faith or anything like that, safe place to ask questions. Even if you're not a Christian yet and you're skeptical about the Bible or Jesus, safe place to ask those questions, and I love that. And we need those spaces as well within our homes, around dining room tables and and other places. And so in that sense, our words have the power to direct our hearts. When we're able to verbalize the things that we're wrestling with, it actually sets us on a trajectory towards healing, towards wholeness. Now the one thing I will say in terms of a directive, and that James says pretty clearly as well in light of this whole idea of God's image being stamped on humanity, he's saying, okay, I hear you guys praising God with your mouth, reading scripture, singing worship songs, praying prayers, talking the talk, so to speak. I hear you guys praising God, but then I also hear you with the same mouth cursing other humans. And James is going, don't you see a problem there? Out of the same mouth, you're praising God, but you're cursing the image of God? Now, I know this is hard for us to imagine, but there was a time when Christians used to talk all Christian-y in one context and then go and say bad things about people in another context. They didn't even have Facebook yet, right? (laughs) Um, James is going, what does he say? This should not be, verse 10. This should not be. You cannot proclaim that you love God and with that same mouth curse a human being. You cannot say you love God and then go and say you hate the image of God in another person. This cannot be. And the beautiful answer to this riddle for us is that when we see ourselves as those who are loved by God, known by God, redeemed by God through the work of the Son and the Spirit, named by God as his beloved, as his children who are safe and secure in his presence, that when we find ourselves living life closely to God, we'll begin to recognize his image in everybody around us. And there will be a time to speak hard truths, right? But as Oscar Wilde says, a gentleman is someone who never hurts anyone's feelings on accident. (laughs) That a true friend will stab you in the front. There's a place for hard words, but we would never speak words of curse, words of death, words of destruction, words that attack the image of God within our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our friends. 
And so James is painting this picture that as followers of Jesus, we should have a reputation for, first of all, always speaking the truth, for using our words to build up one another, not tear them down, and to carefully choose our words to speak life into the world, to shape reality towards human flourishing and goodness. And part of what that means is instead of grumbling and complaining, we use our words to give thanks, to express gratitude to our God that all of life is a gift. And some of you know that power as well, to simply say thank you has this supernatural power to awaken our hearts and our minds to the goodness that we're surrounded by. Now what's amazing, as we close, is that in the Bible, Jesus is often depicted as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John starts his gospel. But then the story goes like this. The word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. If you haven't yet bought into the idea that words shape reality, that's exactly at the heart of the gospel story. That God becomes human. Word becomes flesh. Jesus enters into our world as the exact representation of God's being. And as he does... God boldly and clearly proclaims to you and to me and to the world, I love you. I'm with you. You belong to me. So anybody who called you chicken legs or anything else, eventually when that gospel sinks into your heart and the word of God becomes your reality, you are freed up from what anybody or any, anyone else has said about you and free to believe what God has proclaimed to be true about you. That in Christ, we are his, we are redeemed, we belong, we are loved. And he's given us incredible power to speak his truth, to bear witness to his kingdom, to be an embodiment of his gospel here in Bend and to the ends of the earth. Father, we are so grateful for the gift of words, even this moment right now, to communicate to one another and to communicate with you. This is a gift that's unique to those of us who bear your image in, in creation, and we are thankful for it. Thankful that you are a God who speaks and have taken it upon yourself to reveal yourself to your world. And so I pray, as we sang earlier, would you help us to hear your voice, discern your words, the things that you're saying to us through your scripture, by your son, through your spirit, through our community, and any other way you would choose to speak, would you help us to listen and to believe your words above all else? And as a result, God, would you help us to be those who bear your image or reflect your likeness in the world by speaking words of life to ourselves, to one another, to the world around us, and to you in prayer. 
We need your help, Holy Spirit. We can't tame our tongues on our own. We need you to change us and redeem us from the inside out. And so we stand here confessing this morning that we are those that are easily distracted, tempted to believe the lies. Help us to listen and believe your voice. In Jesus' name.